Ladies and gentlemen of the Academy of Motion Picture Arts and Sciences, welcome to the 89th Annual Academy... Oh, oh wait. The 93rd Annual... No, wait. Episode 306 of the Movies on the Brain <laughs> podcast. I am one of your hosts, Brian Seawood, and with me this evening is my good friend and podcast partner and co-host... Chad Mitz. Welcome to another weird, wild, and wacky week in the world of... Uh, genre movie news and uh what is dominating the world of genre movie news is obviously the academy award nominations that were released this morning um but before before we get to that um i wanted to ask chad a very very specific question oh boy how do you feel about chris pratt in the dceu <laughs> <laughs> um I and mean, is it different from your opinion of, of chris pratt as mario I still don't know what to think of Chris Pratt as Mario because we've barely heard him say much. But from what I've heard, it's like, you know, that's I think at worst, it's going to be inoffensive. Uh, Chris Pratt in the DCU. Um, I, I I saw the, the thing going around where Gunn said he would work with those people from Guardians again. And everybody jumped to conclusions that he, he meant he was going to cast them in DC movies. And I can see why you would jump to that conclusion. But, you know. They are at they they're actors and there are lots of roles. So chances are, yes, you would recast somebody for something in the DCU. Now, how do I feel about Chris Pratt in general being there? It just depends on who he's cast as. If he's cast as Superman, I'm burning the whole place down. If he's cast as somebody like uh like uh Hawkman, uh, Plastic Man, uh, see, I thought Hawkman was what I was thinking. I was like, no, I'm not gonna do that. But uh, basically anybody else i mean it just depends on the character i don't really that doesn't bother me like i know it bothers other people why are we doing this to ourselves chad like it is very clear at this point that warner brothers discovery is going to have this thing for like two years max and then and then they're going to sell this thing off as soon as they get it make it profitable so yeah uh i think the key point to what you said is make make it profitable and one of the most valuable resources they have is the catalog of um, uh, DC. So that's why they're doing it. If they can make a good slate of DC movies and get a few of them out before they line this thing up to sell again, then that's something they can point to be like, look, profit, look, money. Now, buy us. So, and if that's the case, that probably means that uh, that you would keep what's, that you would keep the structure in place. Whoever bought it would keep the structure in place to continue with whatever DC is doing at the moment. Uh, that's what they're, I mean, their plan is the first part, make good, make these movies that will make money to help the profitability of the company to be sold off. After that, they don't care. But I think whoever buys them would want to keep that continued because, you know, they did buy it for that reason. I just think it's an interesting perspective for like everybody to just be like on board with the idea that we're going to, we're going to jumpstart this. We're going to restart it completely from scratch, which was a surprise to both me and you as to the attack that James Gunn has taken with this thing. Um, and just be like, we're going to do this. We're going to try and be successful at it. Meanwhile, our corporate structure is all over the place and we have no idea how it's going to turn. Um, <laughs> and so like, yeah, I agree. If we can make a successful film or two and set the seeds, great. But like, what's to prevent somebody who comes in, say, in 2026 and be like okay we only have two of these dc films but 
they're okay, they're not billion dollar hits, so let's just fire James Gunn and reboot this thing again. Like, that's my concern, is that you, you, you know, you and I are sitting here watching an LSU basketball team that is legitimately being run out of the gym by SEC teams every single week on the men's side. And it's because they are facing an uphill battle, they fired their coach, they had to get, they, pretty much the entire team entered the transport portal, the team that made the NCAA tournament last year, um, entered the transport portal, he brought in a new coach, he brought some guys with him, but didn't get land any big name recruits, and has no depth. So now he's getting run out of the gym by 20 and 25 points every night. And people are like, what is going on here? And it's like, well, you can't reasonably expect this person who has no, like, talent on his team. Like, he's coaching them up the best that he can. But, like, there's no there's no fix for talent in basketball. You can't coach talent in basketball. Um, so you kind of just have to bite the bullet, agree that this year is a burner year anyway, the best, the ceiling for this team, I felt like, before the season started, was to be a, uh, a play-in team. And they're not even going to do that. They're not going to be an NIT team either. Um, weird, very weird to see a last four out and last four in that contained Kentucky and Florida today by Lenardi. It's just weird to me to see Kentucky and Florida in the bottom of this bracket for 64. Um, but, like, we need, we need that, like, D.C., to get going and have its momentum. And I'm worried about it getting its momentum and then being sold off again. And then the next people come in wanting to start in a whole nother direction. I I mean, I can't say that you're wrong for, for having that concern because that has been the track record at DC. But with that has also been that they've never had any kind of consistency. They've had successes here and there but they never had any kind of sustained consistent success particularly in this era of you know big comic book movie franchises so if they were to if they were to get like two or three under um gun and saffron out and those be hits and you can see the groundwork that they're laying for their for what they want to do I think that might change the calculus for whoever would buy uh, Warner Brothers Discovery at that point, and they will leave that alone. It, it, like you know, all the money people come in and they want to keep making money. And with this, I think if you if it's shown if it's shown that it's actually on the right foot and can make money from now on, whoever bought it would be buying th- with that knowledge. So I don't think they will change anything that way. Now, if it's starting to flounder again, yes, we'll have another course correction by whoever they bring in. We're back at, uh, you know, back at square one. I don't know how it's going to turn out. I'm hoping for the best. I think this is the best opportunity to build a good foundation that can carry over no matter if they're selling or not. But this is, you know, this is the most volatile company that studio that we're dealing with. So who knows what's going to happen with this thing? Yeah, I mean, who knows? But, like, my thing is, and this is just a suspicion on my part, but, like, I feel that Matt Reeves' Batman universe is more primed to be successful in a short period of time than whatever James Gunn is doing. Because, like, I feel like a Superman movie, at best, is two years out. And I don't know that Warner <laughs> Brothers Discovery has, like, I don't know that Discovery in the, that group of investors has a desire to hold on to this company for that. And... By the same token, you know, Matt Reeves is already in development on the, the they've shot the Penguin series, right? Um, he's already mm-hmm. in development on the script for Batman Part 2. He's the Batman 2. 
He's talked about already about some casting ideas that he has. Like he just seems like he's further along in the development process. And if and if that if that if that Penguin show with Colin Farrell, who might be riding an Oscar win, you know, is well received and good, and then it's followed up by very positive and well received the Batman two by twenty twenty six, you're looking at or even twenty twenty five, you're looking at a more successful thing than the DCEU proper, which is just getting off the ground because you had to run through Shazam 2, Aquaman, and Sh- and the Flashpoint movie before you even got started on getting close to what you wanted. Yeah, that's... Well, okay, so that is a thing. Um, but one, I think, you know, with this the merger, I don't think they can... There's a certain amount of time they have to wait before they can try to sell it again. I've heard two years... I don't know when the clock set starts running on that two years. Um, like if it's from the actual end date of them being acquired last year. Which I would, would think mean... that they, they it would it would be from the start of the acquisition. So like the Disney the Disney Fox merger was completed in March of seventeen. So if it was a two year hold, you couldn't start until March of nineteen on mm-hmm. uh, acquisitions and mergers. Um, so I, I could very easily see it being a two year, which would be what, July to July? Uh was it complete in July? Uh okay, let's say it's July. So yeah, then it would be July of next year, twenty twenty four, that uh they could possibly sell. And even even with that, the process of selling it's not a it's not a quick thing. But ask, <laughs> ask Vincent Kennedy McMahon. Right, right, yeah, whatever the hell he tried to do. Either anyway, I think so. And the quickest they can come up is next next July. So with the whole process of selling, that's probably another year. So we're looking at you know twenty twenty five before uh, another another buyer would have completely would completely own WB again. So that's two years for the for Gunnar Saffron to get something out. I. I think you can do it. I think they will. I think I think whatever they announce, because um, supposedly they're supposed to announce like their first three. Yeah, movies they said or something, something, uh, something like next week, because Gunn had said it would be in, in January after the holidays were over. Yeah. So, yeah, they, he's pretty much got a week. So sometime in the next week, they, they have to publicly announce those three things. And and I think whatever they announce, at least one of them will go into actual production by the end of this year. Which would to make it for, depending on when it went into production, what uh, maybe like if at best they can get one into production by the summer. That means next summer you would have your first one from uh, from their slate. And if that's the case, I think they can get out all three of those before a sale will be complete. And then at that point is up to whoever buys it to think, okay, these movies did X, Y, and Z. We can keep. This seems to be a good footing. Let's keep going this way or say, you know what? No, nah, let's get rid of all of it. Um, their best chance to keep it going is to get at least whatever they're about to announce out by 2025. And I think one of those would have to be doesn't have to be. But I, I think Superman should be one of those three. And it'll probably be, no matter. I don't know what the other two going to be. But if one of them is Superman and they can get it out and make it successful and have the, and have our first successful financially and critically Superman movie come out uh, since what Superman two 
before hell before you were born, I think I was like one when it came out. I think that would be that would go a long way. Yeah, I, I agree, but like I don't know that that that's gonna be the thing that's gonna be there. If that makes sense, like I I don't know that that's the one that he's pointing to as we're gonna do it this way. Um, we'll see. Like maybe maybe things are different, but um, yeah, it's it's I don't know, man. It, it's very very weird to me the whole thing about you know the possibility that they could just not be <laughs> just getting going and then all of a sudden new regime change again i i really just have tried to not think about it um uh, but i mean you're you are completely right you we've seen it happen it's what's happened it's this is the story of wb wb has plenty of stories but this is one of the one of the driving forces behind everything is that it keeps changing changing ownership hands and it does so in the middle of these plans and it and that can that contributes as much as anything else to everything else going down because there's never a solid you know top down organizational thing. So I, I've I've tried not to think about them selling. I'm just trying to imagine it being a top down just DC Studios thing and let them do what they do and then let the chips fall where they where they may at that point. I don't know. It's just it's it's just an interesting point of emphasis because I I just really do feel like the Batman is in a is in a more prime position to do things if that makes like it is and and also and also they get batman easier than they do anything else because they only know one thing about batman and you know i have my i i like matt reeves's film but you know they they only get dark rainy bitter batman and that's it but i mean that's that's working for them um i think it's you know it's prime because only in so far as that it already came out, so other things that revolve around it are already in motion. But I don't know. It. it I think people will. I think anyone coming in would leave Batman alone because it's Batman and it's made money. But it's got a. I don't know if we'll get another Batman. If we got another Batman movie before the you know this supposed uh, um, acquisition that we're we're just. You know, hypothesizing at this point, it wouldn't be until I don't think we get until 2025. So it'll still be on the same chopping block, the same timetable as everything else. And that 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 it has the luxury of having that time without any pressure. But I think it has to perform. And the first one, it did perform. But I don't think I mean, it's it performed. It was success. But I still think people would think, you know, Batman is supposed to do better. And. I don't I I'm curious to see what the second one will do when we get to that point. And if it, you know, if people don't think it is a success to sign, where do we go from there? So I don't think that'll be anything we ever have to find out because it's Batman. And if it's not a success, then it, then they really messed up. Yeah, they, they crapped the bed. But like, yeah, there are two really good, like lead in examples here that, that are going to be fun because they're doing this with Dune. The the sisterhood show that being that Dennis Vianville is writing and he's directing the pilot episode for, I believe, is an HBO Max original and it will lead directly into Dune 2 later this year. They're going to do the same thing with the Batman. I mean, Reese has been very, very transparent about the fact that the world that Joe that, that the Batman 2 exists in is the same world that this series exists in. And so there are going to be things. Best example would be the holiday special. 
the holiday special is setting the scene for where we find the Guardians at the beginning of Guardians uh, Guardians Volume 3. Same kind of thing. So, like, if the if that TV series is successful, and then the, that may help the movie be even more successful, and really, if you're talking about a step up, considering when and how the Batman was released, it did, what, 650, 700? You yeah. put it into non-COVID times with a lead-in series like that, you could easily be looking at a bump up to a billion. And then there's no way that's not a success. Whereas, are you confident that a Superman movie in this environment at this time would do a billion? Because that's where their head would be at, fair or unfair, because that's where their head was at the last time. Well, that's where I... So it depends on whose head you're talking about. Are we talking about the 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 stud like DC studio heads? Or are we talking about Warner Brothers studio? Heads? Um, because those are two different things. I in the last case with Man of Steel, which I still cannot believe that people thought it should have made a billion. When again, we only had like two movies make a billion at that point. Um, that was I mean, there's no there was no like in the in no divisions there. It was just Warner Brothers and. They got the big eyes and thought it should have made a billion. Here, the guy at the top is all about money. And yeah, he'll probably be expecting big returns for a Superman movie. At this point, I think you have the structures in place where not only do you have uh, Gunn and Saffron, you also have Abdi and DeLuca. And I think between all four of them, they can reasonably look at what they have and say, okay, our reasonable expectations for for a first Superman movie Coming off of um, the last time we've seen Superman in movies, their financial box offices are tied to Black Adam, the Justice Justice League, the theatrical cut, Batman versus Superman, and if you want to, you know, reach real far back, Man of Steel. All four of those were underperformed and were not well received, and the whole reason you wouldn't bring the damn guy back to be Superman is because you thought. His image was so so closely associated with these tainted versions of Superman. So the first movie has to reestablish Superman past that tainted version. So in my mind, you cannot expect it to make a billion dollars. You want it, you want it to be profitable, yet reestablish not only this franchise, but Superman itself. So depending on how much you make it for, you're probably looking at like six, seven hundred to think that's a success. And that's what this Batman movie just made. I think if it makes around there, people will be you can you can sell it to people that are just looking at money numbers and just say, explain this situation to them. Uh, if it, if we did not have these other people in place, I, I would be more concerned. But I think they would all understand that you can't expect a billion dollars from this new Superman. We'll see. It's just. It was an interesting thing. The quote got my attention about, or it didn't get my attention, but got the quote, attention of quite a number of people about bringing his uh, his Marvel people over. Um, and, mm. and his thing was not even directly, you know, I'll bring him over to the my DC stuff. He was just, I'm looking forward to working with them again, which doesn't necessarily mean DC. Everybody just made that logical jump because the next thing he's working on are DC projects. So we'll see. It, it's just going to be interesting to me. Um, you know, where we go from here. Um, so before we move to Oscar nominations, sir, um, what is, cause I don't think I asked you this question on our, our, when we were talking about Ant-Man, 
which by the way, I rewatched the uh, season, the episode six of Loki or the, the season finale of Loki season one again and again, much to no one's surprise. Jonathan Majors was awesome and told you everything you needed to know about the multiverse saga. But of the projects that are coming out in 2023, Ant-Man, the Wasp, Quantumania, Guardians of the Galaxy, Volume 3, The Marvels, uh, Secret Invasion, What If Season 2, Loki Season 2, Ironheart, Echo, and Agatha, Coven of Chaos. Which, um, which project from the, from the MCU are you most looking forward to? Oh, so one, I think Agatha got moved to next year. The, the, they're currently shooting. They're, they're currently shooting in, in the article that I have pulled up is last dated January 9th. So they would have had to move that date like in the last couple of weeks. Yeah. I, I don't know if they've officially moved it, but everything I keep seeing about it, um, and it would have probably been after that article, as I'm pretty sure it was after that date. It seems like they're, they're going to move it into next year but you know i could be wrong so we'll go with what you the list you're looking at uh if i have to pick one um the the obvious one should be probably the biggest one of the year which would be guardians for me um because i mean just because you know my my own personal attachments with the guardians and this seems to be the last one and i'm really not having to look forward to dealing with uh my kid if this damn raccoon bites it like she's been predicting for literally years uh i'm not looking forward to that but uh, i i think the i'm curious to see really curious to see what the movie turns out to be and, and and how everything is handled to wrap up this chapter of this iteration of guardian but really outside of that um it's secret invasion just i'm intrigued with the whole you know the kind of espionage aspect of this and not knowing who to trust and who the damn scrolls are because we have to have multiple people in positions of power and people that we've seen before turn out to be scrolls. so i that i'm probably the most curious about that one and the other ones you know i'm gonna see all of them but i really haven't been paying attention to when any of these other things outside of ant-man are coming out yeah um you've been calling the roadie outing as a scroll for a hot minute now um and Armor Wars and Secret Invasion, Armor Wars getting tapped into a movie and from a TV series would also kind of, uh, kind of back that because then you're talking about, as you said, the fallout, uh, from, from that. Um, but it, it'd be interesting. Um, I am looking forward to Secret Invasion. I'm curious about timing simply because, you know, even at Comic Con back in July of 2022, you know, Marvel does date TV shows. Um, they just give you the season, basically. They did date yeah. Mandalorian Season 3 for March 1st. So with Ant-Man and the Wasp still being in theaters and most Marvel shows running six to eight episodes, I can't really see them squeezing in uh, something like Ant-Man, something like uh, Secret Invasion till April when you're in between, you're, you know, Mandalorian is finished, Ant-Man and the Wasp is done. Guardians isn't here yet, and so you have this little window of time to play with. Um, so I don't think we're getting the Secret Invasion until March, but that would be probably if Agatha isn't in if Agatha isn't in uh, this year in 2023, then I would say that that's my most anticipated Secret Invasion would be my most anticipated season 
uh, MCU, MCU Disney Plus show. Right behind that would probably be Loki, uh, just because we're going to get multiple versions of Kang, and we're going to get to see Jonathan Majors actually do his full thing, which is going to be awesome because more people are going to going to find out about that. Um, as far as the films, you know, I really do think that the Marvels is the one I'm looking forward to the most. Female director, female cast. I get to spend more time with Kat, with uh, Brie Larson as Captain Marvel, but I also get. You know, Proton, which will be the official name. Um, and I'll get more time with Miss Marvel. And it looks like they're doing some fun body swapping role stuff in that movie. So, um, so that's something that I'm really looking forward to. And Nia's just a singular artist. And I'm very much looking forward to seeing what she does with a big tentpole feature like that. So for me, it would be, uh, for me that, that it would be the Marvels on the, on the theatrical side. I can see that. I, I'll probably I'll get more excited for that one when we get closer to it. It's yeah, just, and I don't know. I don't. That's the problem with the promotional cycles when you do February, July, February, May, July. Like you, you truncate your publicity stuff really because you know Ant Man and the Wasp didn't get a, a trailer till what November for a February release, and then got another one in January. Um, mm. We're gonna get a Guardians three trailer, I'm sure ahead of Ant-Man and the Wasp, but then when do you get a Marvel's trailer? Because Thor kind of got the crap into the stick last year as far as the marketing campaign goes, um, because it was the last movie and because you had to you had to deal with, you know, the May movie take uh Multiverse of Madness running for so long and taking up so much oxygen. So it, it's it's gonna be gonna be interesting for sure. But I, I do think that People like I'm excited for the Marvels because I'm excited for Nia. I'm excited for what Brie Larson wants to do with that character. And I'm excited for where they're going to take that story because she's an important part. And, you know, we haven't really seen her since the end of Shang-Chi. That's right. Yeah. Yep. Oh, uh, yeah. I, I'm, I'm I'm thinking about this schedule. And I mean, I would assume that you started right before Guardians. And see, I would have thought but, the same thing, but did we didn't get an we didn't get a Thor: Love and Thunder trailer before Ant Man before uh, Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness, did we? I seem no, to remember it, like was, it was a July, it was like a June trailer drop for a July movie. But it, no, because we 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 got two trailers. There was one I forget when the first one came out. It would have had to be in the spring second, sometime. Yeah, and there was a second one that came out before Doctor Strange. But I remember it did not play in front of Doctor Strange. We got the first one um, because I was I and, and I remember that because it was like, well, why aren't they putting the second one in front of Doctor Strange when we got this when we've already seen it released? But the first one was a better trailer. And so, the, second, uh, the second one was a leak. Remember, I believe like it leaked and they had to release it. Did it? You're probably right. You're probably right about the leak. But I yeah, I know they officially released it before Doctor Strange. Um, and, you know, sometimes they'll release those the week of and they don't make it in, t- in the movie cut. But I remember this being released like at least a week before Doctor Strange, which normally means it will be in front of whatever movie's coming out the following. But it wasn't. I don't know. It, it'll just be interesting because they, you know, it's a really truncated marketing campaign for everything when you do February, um, when you do February, May, July. It's a lot easier when you do the old, the phase four way, the phase three way, where you're doing it, you know, May, July, and November. 
Um, but these right. are the headaches. <laughs> these are the headaches you have when you have a two billion dollar Avatar franchise to schedule around. Oh, yeah, that's right. That's right. Uh, yeah, I mean, you know, they could they could re- they could release the trailer for it before uh, before Ant Man and not do a second Guardians until uh, what I don't know. No, I, I think you. I think something. you. I think you're right. I think you put Guardians on. You attach Guardians to the Ant Man trailer. To the Ant Man movie, and then, then I think sometime around sometime around the NCAA tournament in March, or maybe uh, right around the Final Four or the Masters, you put out um, you put out your your first trailer for for uh, the uh, for the Marvels, and, and you do that. Uh, so we'll see. But the, the, it's not like the uh, folks at, at Disney need any have ever had any problems with marketing. No, they seem that well. Not that they get it right all the time, but. Uh... You know, it's what they do. They'll figure it out. No one can be as bad as the female Ghostbusters. So, <laughs> debut trailer on the NBA Finals and tickets going on sale a week later for a July movie. Yeah, that's yeah, that's wild. Yeah, one in April, one in June for a July movie. That, my friends, is what we call dumping. <laughs> All right, so oh, let's touche. let's tackle these uh, the Oscar nominations and let's before we dig into category by category. I wanted to get your thoughts as an African-American male about what is, to most people, the biggest um, the biggest snub, which would be Viola Davis for The Woman King and for, uh, you know, black women directors and actresses in general, as we will once again uh, go another reward cycle with Halle Berry being the only actress, African-American actress, to win Best, uh, best Actor, so, or Best Actress, so... Your thoughts, sir? Because um, the other the other noticeable thing for me is back to back years we've had a best a female best director winner with um, Chloe Zhao for Nomad Land and um, Jane Compton for uh, Power of the Dog. So we're two for two, and they didn't even give us that option this time. They're like straight old white dudes and an Asian. It's like we gave you what you wanted twice. Now get out, get out of way. Uh, so I wish I could add. I wish I'd seen I've seen uh, either the Woman King or uh, Till before having this discussion because I think I'm I'm personally missing something from it because I've seen seen neither of them. Um, but from everything I've heard, um, you know, Viola Davis goes without saying because Viola Davis, people, you know her work, you know the work she does. She is a phenomenal actor, and her leading this type of movie, it seemed like it seems like she should have been a no brainer um and to to add to this this is the kind of movie that if i know people don't like to to do the race thing and all that but we've seen movies just like this that with a white cast and white filmmakers and they're nominated and they and people eat this kind of stuff up i'm looking at you gladiator so when you when you have this cast is all black but you have the the cast you know, the talent of this cast with Viola Davis, with John Boyega, with Lashana Lynch, all leading this movie. And it's the, and it's the same kind of same kind of thing. Uh, the story is a little different because, you know, of what it's dealing with. But like it's wrapped up in the same kind of thing. It's a period piece uh, about uh, with this kind of, you know, uh, strong warrior kind of struggle thing. And you see movies like Gladiator come along and, and not just, you know, be there but people really like have strong pushes for those 
I know it's a long time ago, but you can't look at that and then look at this and not say why. Why did why did this movie get no nominations? Uh, again, I, I haven't seen it, but I've seen plenty of people that have said that, you know, the director, uh, Gina Prince, uh, Blackwood, you know, she should like this is a snub for her. Will she have won? I don't know. But to not nominate her, that that is not that doesn't feel right to a lot of people and not just people that look like me. I most of the people I've seen talk about this movie, talk about the snub are not black people. So you can't I don't we can't just pin that on just on on race. There's lots of people that recognize that this is not right. Um, I again, Viola Davis, you know what she does. And then with every all the good I've heard about the movie for her not to get a nomination, it seems like, again, a snub. And it's just I know people again, I keep saying I know people don't want to do race, but it's staring you right in the face. That's the difference between some of these movies getting nominated and this one not. So it's highly disappointing. And with uh Danielle Detweiler who played uh um who's in Till, I've heard nothing I haven't heard a lot of things about that movie. It was a movie, I'll be honest, it's not one that I want to run out to see because I know the Emmett Till story. I I know how that goes. And while I think the movie might be very well constructed and I've heard nothing but nothing but high praise for Daniel Detweiler in that role. It's not something that, you know, I'm I want to see. I have to be in the right mindset to see, and I probably won't be in that for a while. But I I had try to be careful because when it comes to the the these reactions and and hearing opinions about these movies, I understand I'm do, getting it from social media. I understand that I'm to a certain extent I'm siloed to things that I like. But I mean, most of my social media silos, particularly for movies, are siloed around comic book movies. And basically, I don't. They're siloed in a way that I don't deal with foolishness from comic book movies. So. When people talk about other movies that are not comic book movies, they typically tend to be people that like movies, period. And all of them were praising her performance. And enough so that I didn't even, like, I didn't even give it a second thought. I thought she would be nominated. No question. Like, when I looked at the, the nominations this morning, I kind of didn't even really glance over that one that in-depth because I was just like, oh, I'm sure at least she's on this. And to find out that she wasn't, Again, and, and as you said in your point, to date, Halle Berry is the only black woman to win Best Actress. The only one in the whole Academy's history. And you, and part of the reason why is because when there are opportunities to nominate black women for lead Oscar, the Academy doesn't do it. Like here, you had two, you had two chances to nominate two, and you couldn't even give one. So. Say all that to say, all of this is subjective and the Academy can hide behind it being subjective. But, the, the, I mean, the answer is staring you in the face. We have a problem nominating people of color, particularly black people. And when we get a chance to do it, they don't do it. And thereby, it keeps perpetuating the thing that we don't win these awards because we don't have the opportunity to because we don't get nominated, even if the performance is warranted. I mean, that's part of the problem, right? Is, like, you don't have a ton of folks who are out there just, like, wanting to work in these situations. There's a reason why, um, 
you know, Frances McDermott used her, uh, one of her Oscar, uh, speeches to talk about, you know, uh, signing contracts in certain ways and, and working with women directors and women producers because, like, there has to be more of that content out there for them to, 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 to the point where they can't ignore it. Um, you know, we, we're making it like I, I tweeted this out, you know, earlier today. It's like we, they're making progress. Um, Anna do uh, Anna do, uh, de Avery's the, uh, the knives out lady. Um, she's, uh, in the, and she was in Bond. She's going to be the first Cuban American nominated, uh, or one of the first Cuban Americans nominated for best actress. Um, we've got, you know, Asians nominated across the board for everything, everywhere, all at once. That includes both the director and the majority of the cast. And I'd say that, uh, that is a uh, pretty important step to take, uh, especially considering, especially considering the violence that has occurred in the um, Asian American community, um, you know, toward the Asian American community in the last year between the, uh, the, the massage parlor shootings in Atlanta and then what happened in California this week. Um, so it was, it was, I'm sure a nice, uh, benefit, a nice moment for that, uh, for that, for those nominations to come out this morning. Um, I don't know. I think we're making progress Two back to back female, female Oscar winning directors is good. The number of the number of and variety of films that were nominated um, is a step forward. I will not add my voice to the line that is saying that oh, this fixes the Academy's like ratings problem. They'll be the biggest ratings in Oscar history because you know the biggest box office not adjusted for inflation. Okay, well, um, let me just take a moment to remind you that two billion of that is Avatar. So, like, one movie takes up two billion of your revenue and box office revenue. So, like, let's not, let's not harp on that. Second of all, um, as much as I love everything everywhere all at once, more people saw Top Gun in Avatar than saw all the rest of the movies combined. That is where the majority of your box office, not adjusted for inflation, is coming from. So let's not make it out like this is like a super popular group of films that everybody has seen. No, it's really two movies that everybody's seen and a third that a, a good number of people saw, like by a word of mouth. Like that's that's the thing, man. It's like the uh, the bigger snub for me today wasn't Woman King. It was Nope, um, because Jordan Peele did not get nominated for Best Original Screenplay. I don't believe he didn't get nominated for. No, he did. I think he did. Did did they? Because I thought Nope got shut out completely. I know it got shut out from Best. Um, I know it got shut out from best, uh, best picture. Yeah. Um, but no, I'm looking see. at the screenwriting, pr- the, the screenwriting are the first two we're going to talk about and it's not on there. So he, he didn't get it I for screenplay it or directing. So like the film got shut out as a whole and it's, you know, kind of a disappointment that while it is a, a horror action movie that you rewarded such a subversive, interesting and thoughtful movie like no, like, uh, like us and um and get out but here's a movie that is about hollywood and about how hollywood you know marginalizes those who work in the sub the the uh below the line categories which by the way will be televised this year um you know and also talks about how fame chews people eats people up and spits them back out um and you didn't reward it and it was made with a primarily african-american cast with a African-American director and you just decided not to award it. So yeah, 
that was the bigger the bigger surprise to me. Yeah, I forgot about Nope. I'm glad you brought it up because uh, that was another one that I heard. Again, not one that I saw. I ain't never seen that one. But uh, I don't know why I thought he was on. I swore I saw him when I saw this. And I was like, oh, that's the only award Nope is up for. I mean, it, it's just it's interesting to me that we're in that place. But let's roll through. Let's roll through these nominations. Let's start um, with best original screenplay, and we'll alternate these. Um, so the the nominees for writing uh, best original screenplay: uh, Banshees of Innersheen uh, by Martin McDonough, Everything Everywhere All at Once by written by Daniel Kwan and Daniel uh, Skurret, otherwise collectively known as the Daniels. The Philbombs, uh, or Philbermans, however you want to pronounce that, written by Spielberg and Kushner. Uh, Tar, written by Todd Field. And Triangle Sadness, now available on the Criterion Collection DVDs at your local Barnes & Noble, written by Ruman Ostleg. Uh, your thoughts, sir, on the best original screenplay race? I've seen one of these. Uh, everything, everywhere, all at once. Uh, so I, I, I can't compare it to the rest of them. It is... Um, quite an original screenplay. So just for the originality, uh, I I would think it would have a chance, but I I don't know, man. Um, like I've heard good things about the rest of these, except for Triangle Sadness. I have no idea about that one. Um, but I don't know. It just seems like like Tar seems to be a darling for everything, and and the Fablesman or whatever the the Spielberg one. Uh, it seems to be gaining traction, so I would think it's probably going to be out of one of those. I think this is everything, everywhere else, once is one of their locks. I think the screenplay is just so different and so unique from anything else that's out there. Um, Banshees of, of Inishin, um, written by Martin McDonough, um, is a very standard Oscar script, and, and it's very humorous, but also very poignant and dramatic. Um, I don't think Spielberg's going to win an award for writing of his autobiographical biographical pick, although he may get some award uh, recognition elsewhere in, from the Academy for that. The strength of Tar is it, is his acting and it's uh, directing, and of course it's music. One of which one of the original songs from it actually was not nominated for best original song, which was kind of a surprise. Um, so I would I would say this is probably everything and everywhere all, all at once this category to take best adapted. All right. So, for best uh, writing adapted screenplay, the nominees are All Quieter on the Western Front, screenplay by Edgar Edward Berger, uh, Leslie Patterson, and Ian Stokewell. Glass Onion, a Knives Out Mystery, written by Ryan Johnson. Living, written by uh, Kazuyo Ishiguro. Uh, Top Gun Maverick, screenplay by Irid Kruger and Eric Warren Singer and Christopher McQuarrie. Story by Peter Craig and Justin Marks. And Women Talking by Sarah Polly. Women Talking is my sentimental favorite here because I think Sarah Polly has written some of the best screenplays out there in the last five years. It's just they haven't gotten the kind of recognition this movie has. And this movie didn't get a ton of recognition. I mean, it ended up streaming on Peacock uh, or somewhere like really quickly. It it made no money at the box office. But um, I really like the screenplay and what she did there. I mean, let's all face it. The screenplay is not the strength of Top Gun Maverick. <laughs> um, nope. Glass Onion. Glass Onion is a, is a is a favorite. I'm really interested by the fact that All Quiet on the Rest Western Front finished second in nominations. And the reason there's two reasons for that. One, 
it's on Netflix. Two, it's, uh, All Quiet on the Western Front is kind of like A Star is Born or, you know, some of these others where it's been remade many, many, many times by many different directors and done in, a, in many different ways. But it's still at its heart a, a story about the horrors of war and using World War One as a backdrop to explain to you why war is bad. Um, and I think it's a visually stunning movie. If 1917 didn't get the award for Best Adapted Screenplay, I, I can't see All Quiet on the Western Front getting it, but I think it will be in the conversation. I really think this is either women, uh, this is Glass Onion's uh, Oscar to lose, but I would love to see women talking. Yeah, so I've seen two of these, and as you said, Top Gun Maverick screenplay is not a strong suit. Uh, I like, well, no, I love Glass Onion, and I hope it pulls it out on this one. Um, but I do agree with you about all, all Quiet on the Western Front. I've actually never seen any version of them, but I know it just, I know it's like it's a Star is Born. Yeah, it would be so, really weird for me to see. I think the the original version that got nominated for an Oscar was 1924. Like it's 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 way back there. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's one of those. Yeah, and it's like so you're gonna give it. I don't know how to say it. It's like you're saying essentially that this person did as good of an adaptation as somebody did a hundred years ago. Mm-hmm. And it's like they couldn't be two different versions. One's black and white and silent, and the other one's you know a full full blown color uh, thing that's on streaming. Um, it's just it's weird. <laughs> It's just it's just weird for me, but uh, I would really love to see women talking take it. But well, but I, I doubt that that's the case. But it would be really nice to have Academy Award winning screenwriter Ryan Johnson to be a thing in the world. It would visual effects all quiet on the Western Front. Frank Poltzard, uh, uh Victor Mueller, uh, Marcus Frank, Camille Jafar, Avatar: The Way of Water, Joe Latore, Richard Bo- uh, Bonheim, uh, Eric Sinden, and Daniel Barrett. The Batman, Dan Lyman, uh, Russell Earl, Andres Longlands, and Dominic Tubi. Black Panther, Wakanda Forever, Jeffrey Boni- Bowman, uh, Craig E. Um, <coughs> excuse me, Craig Hammock, R. Christopher White, and Don uh, Sudak, Top Gun Maverick, Ryan uh, Tudhup, Seth Hill, Brian Lanston, and Scott Fraser Fisher. I mean, what are we doing here? They're- there, one movie here is so completely on visual effects and nothing else. Uh, it just so happens to be the highest grossing movie of the year. Let, let them go ahead and get their Oscar and get out the way because it's going to Avatar. And I don't know why we're even doing this. I mean, I can I can make a legitimate case for Top Gun Maverick. I mean, that movie doesn't work without the dogfighting scenes. And while you've, you've right, shot I, some of that stuff practically, you didn't shoot all of it practically. You are correct. However... Uh, and I thought about that when I was looking at this list. I'm like, maybe Tiger Maverick. And then I looked at Avatar again. I'm like, no, the whole reason this movie works is because it's pretty. That's it. This this one has to win for this, if nothing else. So just to let you know, the uh, the first uh, the the first Avatar, um, the first Avatar best visual effect was nominated for best VFX, best cinematography, production design. Original score, best director, sound mixing, sound editing, film editing, and best picture. Um, and it ended up uh, winning cinematography and visual effects in 2010. And so, I think you're looking at something similar this year, yeah. yeah. So that that would be my guess that they would go two for two. 
because there's no there's no movie without the VFX. So right. All right. Uh, we will move on to sound. All right. For sound, the nominees are All Quiet on the Western Front, uh, Victor Prazel, Frank Cruz, Marcus Stim, Stim, Stimler, Lars Gensel, and Stefan Corte. Avatar Way of Water, Julian Horath, uh, Gwendolyn Yates Whittle, Dick Bernstein, Christopher Boys, Gary Summers, and Michael Hedges. Uh, the Batman, Stuart Wilson, William Flies, uh, Files, Douglas Murray, and Andy Nelson. Elvis, David Lee, Wayne Pashley, Andy Nelson, and Michael Keller. And Top Gun Maverick, Mark Whitner, James H. Matter, Al Nelson, Chris Burden, and Mark Taylor. I believe they combined mixing and editing. Um, it's no longer two separate awards. I think it's just one now, I think. Uh, um, but you can make a case for several of these. First of all, sound mixing and sound editing in a, in a war movie are very, very important. Um, sound mixing and sound editing, especially when you have a musical and you're dealing with voices and trying to find the sound that is distinct to the artist that is perform- giving the performance but also sounds like the person that they're supposed to be um, is very, very key. Um, same thing that I said about a war movie. Like, you know, you have to have the sounds uh, of the dogfights and the jets and everything in Top Gun Maverick down right. Um, so I, I, I really don't know where this would go, but I would, I would say if, if I had to put my money on it, I'd probably say All Quiet on the Western Front. Um, I think I would go with um, Top Gun on this one. I mean, there'll be there'll be the momentum and the movement to give it something, um, right? So, so we'll see. But the sound, I would not be disappointed if sound editing and sound mixing was the way they. Were. Yeah, I mean, I mean, it doesn't. The visuals are really great in that movie, but it doesn't work without the sound, like immersing you in, especially the the, the fighter jet scene. So I I think uh, the, the, it's not going to walk away empty-handed, and I think this is a place where it can get a statue. Ah. Uh... Best original, li- uh, best short film live action. An Irish Goodbye, uh, Tom Berkeley and Ross White. Uh, Evalue, Anders Walter and Rebecca Prusan. Le Papel, uh, Alice uh, Ratcher and Alfonso Colon. Night Ride, uh, Eric Twevin and Garrett Led Larson. And The Red Suitcase by C- uh, Cyrus Nashvid. All right. I hate to do it, but this is one of those things where I don't know any of these. So it's all about what name do I recognize on this list? And there's only one. Uh, so we'll go with the one foot with uh, Karan. Um, Irish Goodbye. I mean, if you're already you're already in that mood with the Banshees of Irish and um, like, I, I think that this is where they're going to go. Um, I've heard good things about it. I haven't seen it personally. Um, but you're right, they could just default to giving Corona a live-action short film award. I mean, I don't have much faith in the Academy, and I know lots of them have not seen this, but they'll be like, ooh, I recognize that name. Well, Check. again, again, let's point out for the for the audience, the member, the branches nominate. So all of the short film animated folks, the, the animators branch, they nominate all the short films. Um, the All the sound... Uh, members of the sound branch, they all nominate the sound mixing and sound editing. Um, the acting branch nominates all the actors. The directing branch nominates all the directors. And then the entire Academy as a whole votes on the nominees once they are released. So 
there will be a period from next Monday, uh, which would be the, uh, there'll be a period from next Monday, if I can get my calendar up here. Um, there'll be a period from next Monday, next Wednesday, which would be, uh, February the 1st to the, uh, 17th of, uh, February, which is a Friday where they will vote as an academy, as a whole body on these. And so you're right. It's, you know, you're asking Jennifer Lawrence to have an, make an informed decision on short animated films that she may or may not have seen. Yeah, not to pick on Jennifer Lawrence. No, we, we but, and, and, here, but and to be fair, they all get screeners. They, they The Academy runs a whole website where you can just put your credentials in, log in, and uh, get access to all your screeners of all these things. But you're also a busy working actor, so you don't always have all the time to sit down and watch all of your screeners. So, yeah. Again, interesting process. Yeah, that's that last part is why I, I think you get... A lot of, you know, names and whatnot. But, you know, could be wrong. Short animated feature. The Boy, the Mole, the Fox, and the Horse. Charlie Masquet and Matthew Fraud. Uh, the Flying Sailor, Amanda Forbes and Wendy Tailby. The Ice Merchants, Juan Gonzalez and Bruno Castillo. My Year of, du- My Year of Dicks, um, Sarah uh, Gunadishia and Pamela Ribbon. An ostrich told me the world is fake, and I think I believe it. Lynchened Pentagram. Um, I know nothing. Uh, I don't know anything about any of those. So. I'm going to take the boy, the mole, the fox, and the horse. Because I think that that's, that just as a concept speaks to me in a way that that kind of would, would make for a good animated short film. But those shorts are easy enough to find. In, they don't take up a lot of your time to go and check out. Alright, so we got production design. Uh, nominees for this are All Quiet on the Rusted Front, uh, ch- uh, production design uh, Charles M. Goldbeck, set decoration Ernestine Hipper, Avatar Way of the Water, production design Dylan Cole, and Ben Proctor, set decorations Cole, Babylon, production design Florence Martin, set decoration Anthony Carlino, Elvis, production design Catherine Martin and uh, Karen Murphy, Set directions, Bev Dunn. The Fables Men, production design, Rick Carter. Set director, decorations, Karen O'Hara. I'm going to go with uh, a surprise win here. I think that uh, I think that Babylon gets an Oscar. I actually agree with you. That's why I kind of chuckled when uh, when I saw it up here. The, uh, my my second pick would probably be Elvis, but uh, I, mean, I do I, think. Yeah, I think they recreated, they recreated the world of of 1950s, 1960s America in a very real way for the Phil Bombs, but it's not like that's hard to do. Um, and Avatar The Way of Water, while immersive and, and beautiful as it is, production design is not the thing you think about when you think about that movie, because there's not a lot of... No. They did they did build some sets, but they weren't like the immersive set work you would normally do. Um, if I had to pick a second other than Babylon, I think it would be all quiet, because, I again, war films are just very tricky to... To get right, it's not just throwing a bunch of dirt on a dude and making him look like he's been in the trenches. Um, there's a lot of intricate planning and design that goes into making those kind of things, and especially when you're dealing with depicting the brutality and darkness of war the way that All Quiet does. So if it's not Babylon, I think it would be All Quiet, but I think the Academy as a whole will want to re- will want to recognize something as crazy and different and off the wall as Babylon, which let's not forget does 
you know, refer to or talk about the uh, refer to or talk about the industry, which we all know the account. Of course, yes, they do. Uh, let's get best picture and come back to it last. Let's do music, original song. All right, nominees for this are applause uh, from Tell It Like It. Tell it like a woman, music and lyrics by Diane Warren. Hold my hand from Top Gun Maverick, music and lyrics by Lady Bl- Lady Gaga and Blood Pop. Lift me up from Black Panther, Wakanda Forever, music by Tim's Rihanna, Ryan Coogler and Ludwig Göransson. Lyrics by Tim's and Ryan Coogler. Uh, Nadu Nadu from RRR, music by MM Kiravan, lyric by. Uh, Chandra Boost. This is a life from everything, everywhere, all at once. Music by Ryan Lott, David Byrne, and Mitski. Lyrics by Ryan Lott and David Byrne. This is not a Stars Born situation where she, where Gaga had a song that just took off and made it its own. Kind of like you know, you remember Selma, like the the common song, uh-huh. like that took off. There was there like that became a mainstream thing. I don't feel that has happened with Hold My Hand from Top Gun Maverick. I think a lot of things have continued to stay with people since March when or since May when the movie came out. I don't think that's one of them. Um, so, yeah, I, I think that this is a difficult, uh, a difficult thing for me, uh, category for me to call. I really would have loved Tar to have a song in here, but um, I really think that this is going to end up being um, being lift me up by Rihanna, who's kind of on a, a massive comeback to her and. Lord knows that song's gotten enough play um, over the airwaves and, and in, in iTunes and everything else to to keep it fresh in the people's memory. Yeah. So and and I'd be uh, willing to make a bet she performs it at halftime of the Super Bowl. So oh, that that's a safe, a completely safe bet. So I have not heard this song, but uh, I, I've heard people that I trust talk about it and who I just based on what I've heard alone. I think the song that should be that should win is the one from RRR because apparently this is a song that shows up in the movie and is actually integral to what goes on in the movie. Like a lot of these music songs, you know, show up at the end, don't really have anything yeah, to do. Yeah, I heard an interesting debate movie. on Twitter about whether or not if your song only plays over the end credit, should it be included? Um, right. You know, so that that's, and that's what most of these are. Yeah, and that's what most of these are. Um, so it's. But it's inter- an interesting debate to me. But I, I see what you're saying about RRR in the and the narrative uh, position of that song uh, being making a strong case. It's very weird. India did not like submit that. Film. Very. But uh, I do think uh, "Lift Me Up" is going to win. Uh, I think this is going to be the te- the Academy's time to be like, "Our bad for not doing the easy right thing by giving Chadwick Boseman the the award last year." When uh, so everybody believed that he would, yes. And this like, is your reminder the, the, that the, poor that this is your reminder that poor Anthony Hopkins is going to have to hobble himself out there just to remind everybody right. that he that he that's won right. the award last night last year and not Chaswick Boseman. Oh wait, wait, wait! It's not last year. The year before that, yeah, it was the year before that because last year was slap. Forget I forgot about that. But yeah, but the, this I got, is called, like, in, I got made, called into work, so I, I do not remember much of last year's. <laughs> oh yeah, I, about that later. But uh, I think they're, they're going to give, they're going to do as, as many makeup calls as they can. And I think this one's an easy one because this song invokes all the sadness there is around the passing of the character T'Challa as well as Chadwick Boseman. I think this is their, this is an easy one for them to be like, our bad. It doesn't make up, but here, you, you got one. 
We'll we'll definitely see, but I, I definitely think that would be the betting odds favorite. Um, music, yeah. original score, All Quiet on the Western Front, Volker Bebelman, uh, Babylon by Justin Horowitz. The Banshees of a Nation, I'll learn how to pronounce that at some point this month, um, Carter <laughs> Bromwell. Uh, Everything Everywhere All Once at Once, uh, Sun Looks, Sun Lu, and uh, The Phil Bombs by the oldest nominated person ever for an Oscar, John Williams. I think he's the most nominated person as well. I don't know. I, I haven't heard any of these scores ex- I, except for Everything Everywhere All Once. So I'll pick that one, but I have no idea. Um, I'll go all quiet on the Western Front uh, because it, it matches the dramatic tone. The the score complements the dramatic um, and eerie and downright dreadful uh, tone that the movie is trying to set about the about the wages of death and the wages of war. Um, I'd also like not be surprised again if 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 Berlin pops itself up because that is a very poppy, very peppy, very you know bombastic score, and so it could catch some ears. But again, it's it's difficult for me when I'm I'm judging based on like these are the ones that the academies, the music, the the music branch and the musicians branch, the composers, the writers and, and those kind, uh, the artists, they thought these were the best five. Now it's going to be up to everybody and how many of the people are going to download or listen to or take time to listen to the score, um, you know, and what's tricky about this particular year is that John Williams is going to retire and he's, he's not going to do this anymore. And so like, you know, he, he had to help the last dude, you know, that one dude from hateful eight up to the podium. Remember? Um, that's right. So like, you know, he's been at this game for a little while and, uh, I'm not entirely sure the Academy wouldn't just give him a farewell Oscar. I kind of felt that, but I, I didn't know. I didn't really want to say it. But uh, I can very much see it happening. Indeed. Let's move on to makeup and hairstyling. Right. So nominees are All Quiet on the Western Front, uh, Heike Make, uh, Merker and Linda Eisenhamervova, <laughs> uh, The Batman, Naomi, Don, Mike Marino, and Mike Fontaine, Black Panther Forever, Camille Friend, and Joe Har- Harlow, Elvis, Mark Collier, Jason Baird, and Aldo Signoretti and The Whale, Adrian Morat, Judy Chen, and Anne Marie Bradley. So, you remember a few years ago when our good friend Gary Oldman finally won his Oscar and got got it for uh, for The Darkest Hour? Uh huh. Yeah, yeah. You, you know, look exactly like um, Winston Churchill. Sure. In other words, that performance doesn't get the recognition that it ends up getting without the makeup and hairstyle to me. I 100% believe this will be the same case this year. That makeup and hairstyling really aids Brendan Fraser, Fraser's performance in The Whale. And so if what we all assume is going to happen is going to happen, I don't see it happening unless you reward the people who put him in that position. Right. So I think The Whale is the easy call here. Second betting choice would probably be Elvis because you can't, like, you can't, that movie doesn't work if you don't buy him as Elvis. And the in one of the one of the easiest and quickest and best ways to do that would be uh one of the quickest, easiest and best ways to do that would be the costume that and the makeup. Right. Uh those were kind of my my thoughts too, those two. Uh, I would have leaned Elvis first, but I can easily see it going to the well for the same reasons. All right. International feature film. 
Uh, the nominees are All Quiet on the Western Front, nominated from Germany. Argentina, 1985, nominated from Argentina. Close, uh, nominated from Belgium. EO, uh, nominated from Poland. And The Quiet Girl, nominated from Ireland. <sighs> and just, just to be clear, uh. R, just to be clear, RRR is not a snub, um, in this category. It was not put forth by India as one of its submissions. Wow. I don't understand that, but, uh. So therefore, if, it, if it's not, if your home country doesn't put you forward, the academy can't be held responsible because your home country should have just put you forward. Yeah, yeah, it's, yeah. It's not on. It's not on them for this. There might be other things, but not this. But uh, I guess my pick is going to be all quiet because again, I don't know the rest of them. Okay, that that's fair, and I've heard really good things about Argentina in 1985. But you're not. We went through this with Roma. You're not going to nominate a film for best picture of the year and not give it. The award in its own category. You're not going to nominate toy. You're not going to nominate Toy Story three and not give it best animated feature. You just like if it's not the best international film, why is it among the ten best picture nominees? The best pictures. Uh huh. So like it's going to be all quiet, just like it was going to be Roma. So like I that's that's a that's one of those why are we here? <laughs> Who are we and what are we doing here? <laughs> Although like I said, I have heard wonderful things about Argentina in 1985. All right. Film editing. All right. So the nominees are the Banshees, Banshees of, I think it said, Ennis Sharon. Uh, Eventually we'll get this. By, by the time, by the time the telecast rolls around on this, on the, on March 12th or whenever it is, we'll, we'll have this figured out. Yeah. I think I've heard it said that way, but again, I don't know for sure. It is streaming on HBO um, Max, by the way, and has been for a month. Just putting that, just putting that I out know. there for folks. Like it ain't hard to find. It's not. It's on my list. I just got to get in the mood to watch it, like half of the things on my list. But that's done by uh, uh, Mikael E.G. Nielsen, Elvis, Matt Villa, and Jonathan Redman. Everything, Everywhere, All at Once, Paul Rogers, Tar, Monica Willie, and Top Gun Maverick, Eddie Hamilton. I think this is Everything, Everywhere, All at Once's movie uh, edit award to lose. I think the other case that you can probably make successfully is Tar for that film not working without the editing. Uh, you can make a case probably for Top Gun Maverick as well. But I, I think just with the sheer amount of cuts and, and cross cuts that you're dealing with, I think everywhere all at once, um, just from a frame composition standpoint, is is going to be the clear winner. Yeah, I, I think that's an easy, it should be an easy call. That movie doesn't work without good editing, so I think they get recognized for it. Best documentary short, The Elephant Whispers, uh, Kirchiana Gonslaves and Gannett Morgana. Uh, Hall out. Um, Iravana Abergavavalia and Maxim Erbegrave. Um, where do you measure a year? How do you measure a year? Jay Rosenblatt. Um, the Martha Mitchell Effect. Um, by Anne Alavegigo and Beth Levinson. And The Stranger at the Gate, Joshua Steffel and Carnell Jones. Um, I like elephants. Let's go with elephants, because I, again, I don't know them. I'm going to go Strangers at the Gate. Stranger at the Gate. Um, I think that that's, that's going to be a, a film that's going to catch some people's attention. Um, best documentary feature. All right. So we have All That Breeze, uh, Sashukak Sin, Aman Man, and Teddy Life, uh, Leffer. All the Beauty and the Bloodshed, Lord Portress, Howard Gertler, John Lyons, Nine Golden, and Yanni Goljova. Fire of Love, Sarah Doza, Shane Boris, 
Ina Fishman, Housemate of Splinter, Simon Larray Wilmot, and Monica Hellstrom, and Novani, Daniel Rower, Odessa Ray, Diane Becker, Melanie Miller, and Shane. Uh, I really hope that this is Fire of Love. Um, I really hope this is Fire of Love. If it's not, I'll gladly take a win for all the beauty and the bloodshed. Uh, I just like the title of Beauty and the Bloodshed, so I'm going to go with that one. Fire of Love is the uh, is the uh, t- the documentary about the two geologists who find love while working on the volcano. Oh, well, that's kind of sweet in a kind of hella dangerous way. All right. Best uh, Achievement. The, uh, the Academy Award nominees for Achievement in Directing. The Banshees of Irishmen. Uh, everything, everywhere, all at once. Uh, the Banshees of I- Ar- Innershin, Martin McDonough. Everything All at Once by The Daniels. The Phil Bombs, Steven Spielberg. Tar, Ted Field, or Todd Field. And Triangle of Sadness, Ruben Ostland. So, I would really want everything, everywhere, all at once to win it. I don't think they got a chance in it. You don't think they're going to give it to so, the Swiss Army Knife guys? Hell no. Hell no. Uh, I... I don't know about the rest of them. So that just me having to, again, not seeing them, but just looking at the names and looking at the films and what I've heard, it just makes me think that there are going to be so many people that don't know where they want to go that we're going to end up with Spielberg. Uh, I think the last win he had was Saving Private Ryan, right? I know he got nominated for for Road to Perdition, and I know he got nominated for Moscow. Uh, or uh, not Moscow. Um, um, uh, what was the, the Olympic bombing movie? About. Either way, uh, yeah, I think you're right about Saving Private Ryan. Uh, it's been a long time since he's won, so I think they might give him one and be like, "Well, you're talking about we what you're, you're talking about is a split vote." Uh, yeah, I th- you're talking about a split vote yeah, situation, like I, basically. Right. Yeah, I don't think they're going to be enough for everything everywhere all at once. I think enough people will want to give it to at least two of the other ones, which would be Banshees and Tar, that. It might be just enough for Spielberg to sneak on in. Yeah, the last the last Spielberg win was nineteen ninety nine for uh for for Saving Private Ryan. He only has two. Uh, the other one being for the color per, for uh, Schindler's List. So oh yeah yeah. So so ninety four ninety nine. He has not won a Best Directing Award uh, Oscar this century. Yeah he yeah he's winning this. This is his. Uh, I mean, it's it's easy to make that case, making a movie that, that is about you and your life. Um, Munich was the name of the movie I was looking for. Um, but yeah, it's it's going to be interesting to me. So, But I, I think that, yeah, a split vote could come about um, between McDonough and Spielberg, and that could open the door for, for Todd Field or for uh, Daniel Kwan, uh, or, or for the Daniels. Um, but... I really hope it's Todd Field, honestly. Um, McDonough and Spielberg have been around forever. Both have Oscar experience. The Daniels, it's very hard for me to see. Like, what I'm afraid is going to happen is we're going to get into a Wes Anderson situation where it wins technical awards and those people get up on the stage and they thank the Daniels for their very singular vision and that without them, this movie wouldn't be possible. And then the Daniels lose best, the Daniels lose best, uh, the best director Oscar. So, um, we'll see, but I really hope it's Todd Field. If not, I, I'm totally okay with Spielberg winning his first one, his first Oscar in 22, 24 years. Right. So now we're on the costume design. Nominees are Babylon, Mary Zofris, Black Panther, Wakanda Forever, Ruth Carter, Elvis, Catherine Martin, Everything Everywhere All at Once, uh, Shirley, uh, Krita, and Miss Harris Goes to Paris. 
Jenny Bevan. I would uh, bet money it'd be Ruth Calder and that she'd take home the prize again. But she has heavy competition here because the costumes are very intricate and important to all of these films. So uh, while my money would be on Ruth Calder, I could very easily see any any one of these nominees taking home the prize. Yes, my my sentimental favorite is Ruth Carter, I, but I kind of think um, Elvis hasn't won anything to this point, and I think this is an easy one for them to get. Uh, so I want Ruth to win, but I wouldn't be surprised if it is Elvis. Best uh, the Academy Award nominees for best achieve for outstanding achievement in cinematography: All Quiet on the Western Front, James Friend. Uh, Bardo, False Chronicle of a Handful of Truce, uh, Darius Congendi, Elvis, Mandy Walker, Empire of Light, Roger Dinkins, Tar, Florian Huffenmester. So I'm going to defer to you. However, again, we're going to play the name game. I heard the name Roger Deakins, and that's always something that raises the, eye, the, the eyebrow. So he's never too far from winning one. Don't know if he'll win this one, so I'll let you say which who you think. Uh, the Bardot is a, the, the Bardot is is a uh, is an interesting out like inclusion. It's a surprise nomination in the category. Um, like to me, the 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 like to me, Empire of Light gets the nomination because it's Dinkins. And if anybody else is shooting that movie or lensing that movie, it's not not in the in the running. Uh, personally, my my preference here would be All Quiet on the Western Front because. It's, the cinematography really aids to the way you're telling that story. The same with Tar. Um, you know, it just, it brings out the best in that story and it's shot in a way that's, that helps it stand out from its predecessors as, as the, the story's been told many times. So I, I really hope that it's all quiet on the Western front, but, but I would not be surprised if Dinkins gets, takes home another Oscar. And now we'll move on to Chad's most beloved category. That would be <laughs> Best Animated Feature Film. Uh, the nominees are... Uh, the, the, man, the nominees for Achievement in Animated Feature Film are Guillermo del Toro's Pinocchio by Guillermo del Toro, Mark Gusterson, Gary Unger, and Alex Bulkley. Marcel the Shell with Shoes On, Dean Faultflincher-Camp, Elizabeth Holm, Andrew Goldman, Catherine Kaplan, uh, Caroline Kaplan, and Paul Maisie. Puss in Boots, The Last Witch, Joel Crawford, and Mark Swift. Let it be known that movie's been on streaming since, like, December, and is still, you know, making money at the box office hand over fist. The Sea Beast, Chris Williams and Jed uh, Schlesinger. And Turning Red, Demi Shy, and Lindsay Collins. All right, so I've seen two of these, and two of these I want to see. Uh, the two I want to see are Puss in Boots and Marcel the Shell. Uh, I've heard very good things about Puss. Um, I know people like Marcel the Shell. So that leaves me with the two I have seen, which are Turning Red and P Pinocchio, which I just saw last week. And out of the ones I've seen, I think it's Pinocchio. Um I think what it'll come down to, I think it'll come down to Pinocchio and Puss in Boots. And I don't know who will win. I really think Pinocchio should win just off of what I've seen, um, even with the things I've heard about Puss. But if Puss in Boots wins, I would not be upset. For me, it's between Marcel the Shell with Shoes On, um, another wonderful A24 film because of the way that that is, that is shot and captured. And of course, Pinocchio is just gorgeous and Del Toro did Del Toro things with 
with animation and you know it's been beating the drum for animation as an actual film medium and not just you know a child's thing um and that's that's i think an important thing for him and for the uh you know for the future of the of the of the of the genre um so i i, I wouldn't be surprised if it's del toro but i'm i'm personally rooting for marcel the shell with shoes on um actress uh the the uh, nominees for Outstanding achievement in act uh, by an actress in a supporting role: Angela Bassett, Black Panther: Wakanda Forever; Hong Chu, The Whale; uh, Carrie Condon, The Banshees of Inisherin; Jamie Lee Curtis, her first ever Oscar nomination out of all time for Everything Everywhere All at Once; and Stephanie Hu Shu, uh, Everything Everywhere All at Once. All right, so I've only seen two of these movies, but three of the people in them. So. Uh, if you know me, you've heard me. I've been on my campaign for Angela Bassett to at least get nominated for this role in Black Panther. And now that she's nominated, you know what time it is? It's time for her to win it. Uh, I, I love the performances and everything everywhere all at once, particularly Stephanie over Jamie Lee Curtis. I think you have the chance for those two to split the votes. Uh, but I think overwhelmingly... I really do think it'll be overwhelmingly. I think Angela Bassett is going to win. Again, part of it is them paying it back for being stupid years ago, but also the fact, recognition for uh, this role in this movie and what it meant to people because of the real-world events, which I think is going to give it just enough gravitas for people in the Academy to take the stick out their butts and be like, and and forget that it's a comic book movie, and just nom- and just vote for her on the merits. And Angela Bass is going to win. As much as I would love that, the other thing that I would honestly love is Jamie Lee Curtis to actually win an Oscar and be Academy Award winner Jamie Lee Curtis. Because God bless Angela Bassett. At least she already has one. Um, but that work in the movie is amazing, and she is one of the, she gives the best performance of anyone in that movie. And the first two acts of that movie are carried by her and her character and her performance. So I would by no means have any problem with Angela Bassett, but I'm rooting for Jamie Lee Curtis. All right. So now we're on to actress in a leading role. And your nominees are Kate Blanchett in Tar, Ana de Armas, Ana de Armas in Blonde, Andrea Risenbro in To Leslie, Michelle Williams in The Fablesmiths, and Michelle Yeoh and everything, everywhere, all at once. So I'm rooting for Kate Blanchett to just like reclaim her throne as the greatest actress of our generation. Um, I think that that's the thing that would certainly happen here. Um, the surprise here, as everybody's been noting all day, is Andrea Rosenberg, uh, Rosenberg, um, small, intimate performance in a movie that was very little seen, but she had influential friends <clears throat> in the uh, industry. Who, um, who really championed the film, screened it at their homes, um, invited people over, talked about it, got a word of mouth campaign going. Uh, the movie is about a lottery winner who becomes a drug addict, drug addict. Um, so it's just your, it's basic, your basic standard Oscar stuff. Um, so it's a surprise to, that she got nominated. Same thing with, uh, Diarmas for, for Blonde because that movie was super controversial, especially her depiction. And the way that they depict uh, Monroe in that movie was controversial. Um, but for me, this is either this is if this isn't Kate Blanchett, I think it's Michelle Yeoh. But I also wouldn't put it past Michelle Williams to sneak in there. So 
it's it's a a somewhat wide open race, but I really think this is this is going to end up being Blanchett uh, for Tar. Right. I won't argue with anything you say, particularly it being down to Blanchett and Yo and Blanchett probably winning. But you know, I want Michelle Yo to win, but I can't argue with Kate Blanchett, the defining actress of our generation. She has now been. Uh, she she tied. I want to say she tied to Dica- uh, she tied DiCaprio. Not DiCaprio, uh, De Niro. I think she tied De Niro for, uh, appearing in the most best picture nominee. Like she is, she's now been, she's now starred in or played in 10 best picture nominees over the course of the last 20 years, um, which is right up there or right behind De Niro, which is pretty impressive because even for as many solo nominations as, uh, Meryl Streep has, not all of her films have gotten nominated. That basically just means that, uh, you know, um, Kate Blanchett knows how to pick products or pick projects. I should yep. say. So the easiest category on the face of planet <laughs> this evening, actor in a supporting role. Really, these next two should be fairly easy to call. Um, Brendan Gleeson for the ben- the uh, Banshees of Innershin. By- uh, Brian Tyree Henry, your boy, uh, <laughs> randomly got nominated in for Causeway, a movie about New Orleans. Uh, Judd, uh, Judd Hirsch, the surprise nominee for the Phil Bombs, um, Barry Cogan, um, the Banshees of Irishin, and Hugh Win, Hugh Win for Everything Everywhere All at Once. Your thoughts, sir, on the best act, best supporting actor Oscar? So let me first say, uh, congratulations, Brian Tyree Henry. You are now and forever will be until you actually win one, uh, Oscar nominated. Brian Tyree Henry, I did not expect to see your name. I actually glossed over it when I looked at the list and, and saw somebody say he was nominated. I went back. Congratulations to him. But what are we doing here? This is Short Rounds Award. This is it. There, there's no, there's nobody else. Nobody else is possibly getting this award. This would be the biggest. Like, they might boo at the awards if they gave it to anybody else besides him because everybody knows he's getting it. Uh, and I'm done. That's it. I'm not, I don't have anything else to say about this. You think he's going to slap anybody? Oh, no. That's sweet. Do I think that sweet man is going to slap anybody? Have you heard the speeches he's given? I can't listen to half of them because I'm like, he's getting me right here in the fields. I got to stop. The, the, look, this is the easiest thing. Like you said, this is the easiest thing in the night. Short round is winning. Uh, Indiana Jones is going to come up and hug him. And everybody's going to feel good about themselves. It's uh, it's gonna be quite amazing, and it's gonna be a quite a, a a a warm, fuzzy moment. I'm just having PTSD flashbacks to a man who knew he was gonna win the award, and just proceeded to slap another man <laughs> on national television. Uh, I don't think anybody's gonna talk about his wife, so I think he'll be all right. All right. Um, by the way, good on Judd Hirsch. Man's in his 80s, still getting work and still getting nominated for things. It's awesome. Yeah. Matter of fact. Uh, matter of fact. Um. Uh, Christopher Lloyd posted on Twitter yesterday or today a photo of him on the uh, on the Zoom with all of his taxi uh, castmates doing a taxi reunion. That's awesome. Zoom. So, like, it's uh, it's nice to see him still around, still acting. Yeah, that's awesome. And another movie, and another uh, award that should be a foregone conclusion: uh, mm-hmm. the Academy Award uh, for Best uh, for Achievement in a Leading by an Actor in a Leading Role. Austin Butler for Elvis, Colin Farrell for Banshees of Irishing, Brendan Fraser for The Whale, Paul Mescal for After Sun, and Bill Nye 
for a living. So I don't think we're going to agree with this one. I think you're going to say Brendan Fraser. You're, which, you're, there's no way. There's no way they're not going there. There's no way they're not going there. After like the, if you're gonna do Hugh Kui win and have him end his fairy book uh, award season, getting his best supporting actor, there's no way you're do not doing the same thing for Brendan Fraser. Mm. I think it's down to two people, and one of them would be Brendan Fraser, and the other would be uh, Elvis because it's Elvis. So uh, yeah, I think it's gonna be awesome. I mean that's fair, but the problem he the problem there is that the Globes split theirs between drama and comedy or musical. So you get both men winning at the Globes because they can. Every other thing down the line from here on out, every guild, every branch will be solely best actor in a leading role. And I think that 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 Brendan Fraser is going to clean up. And I think that. If it's not going to be Brendan Fraser, I would actually think it'd be Colin Farrell ahead of Austin Butler. But we'll see. Um, it's just, I mean, I understand the powerhouse of grabbing the persona of Elvis and doing it the way he did. But I just, the moment, Oscars are about moments in time. You know, ask Martin Scorsese, who made at least five films that were better than The Departed and had to wait for the stars to align and everything for it to be right for him to win for The Departed. Uh, so it, the Oscars are about moments, and I don't think they're going to pass on the moment of Brendan Fraser winning the Academy Award for actor in the leading role. Uh, I I completely see everything you're saying. I still think they're going to mess around and give it to uh and give it to um Austin Butler. And just and just on time for us to cross the midnight hour, the Best Picture nominees, the nominees for achievement in best, the nominees for Best Picture of the Year. The nominees are All Quiet on the Western Front, Avatar The Way of Water, The Banshee the, the Banshees of Inertion, Elvis, Everything Everywhere All at Once, The Phil the Phil Bombs, Tar, Top Gun Maverick, Triangle of Sadness, and Women Talking. Your thoughts, sir, on who wins best picture? Uh man. Well I can tell you it won't be it won't be uh Avatar. Uh so this is this one's gonna be tough this is a wide open race and we won't yeah and we won't have a better understanding of it until this time next month when we're when we have a couple of guilds to look at and and we Mm -hmm. notices to look at so we know kind of where the individual individual branches are leaning you know we'll go through the sags and the dags and the wags and all those right now before the season really starts and before we get guild notices i'm gonna go with uh I'm going to go with All Quiet on the Western Front in a surprise, but it would not be shocking to see everywhere all at once start winning and going on a run. It wouldn't be surprising to see the Phil Bombs go on a run. It would not be surprising to see Tar go on a run. Um, it wouldn't, the, 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 wouldn't really surprise me to see Triangle of Sadness go on a run. Um, it would be ultimately only surprising to me if Avatar or Top Gun pulled out a win. That's, right. Those are the only two scenarios that would surprise me. The other thing too that I want to say here is we're all going to get infatuated and I've already seen it in the first 24 hours. We're all going to get infatuated and fall in love with this idea that they uh you know they won uh, the, that everything all where everything everywhere all at once want led the nominations to this morning or yesterday morning now. Um I have seen plenty of films in my day 
who won nomination day and took home one Oscar or two Oscars. And so let's not jump the gun and say that, you know, because the film has a bunch of nominations, it's going to win Best Picture automatically. Because again, it means the individual branches liked individual parts of the movie. It doesn't necessarily mean that once the body is a whole, takes a look at it, that the entire body thinks that it's the best movie. And you still have to take into account the rank, tr- the rank choice voting system that they right. have that, you know, can lead to something where, you know, you get tar, you get All Quiet on the Western Front winning because a bunch of people like it, but not anybody loves one particular movie. Yeah, I mean... I think you're right with uh, it being so wide open. So that makes me, I don't think it'll happen. But if any year, if there were any year for it to happen, for them to pick a popular movie to make best picture, like this might be the time they can sneak it in. And I I think if they did that, it wouldn't be Avatar. It would have to be Top Gun. No, no. If if they're going to do it, you've talked for the last hour about makeups. What's the biggest makeup in that pet in that that little group there? The biggest makeup is to give Cameron his Oscar for best picture that he didn't get ten years twelve years ago. Yeah, but well, that one, was that one nominated too? Best picture, and if okay, I remember, so and if I remember correctly, I want to say it was either Zero Dark Thirty or Hurt Locker that won it instead. Then it would have been like those were the same. I don't know. Um, this is where my personal bias is coming because I don't think. Either one of those movies are best picture worthy, but maybe, but I still think it will be Top Gun over this. I see exactly what you're saying, but I think that's a bridge. I think it's a bridge too far. I think that's too close to like what the, this movie Avatar feels like. It, it feels like what they would consider like a roller coaster ride movie, which, you know, they, they kind of denigrate those. And Top Gun is too, but at least you can at least have the illusion of. You know, a movie star made by movie people and blah, 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 blah. They can talk themselves into Avatar. I think it's too close to the things that they don't want to honor that they yes, that it was, people it find was a her way. Locker. Okay. The, uh, yeah, I the, think best, the best picture nominees, um, the best picture nominees for that year, because I'm on the Academy website, the nominees for the 80, the, uh, 82nd Annual Academy Awards. The uh, Best Picture nominees were uh, Hurt Locker, which won. And then Avatar, The Blind Side, District 9, and Education, Inglorious Bastards, Precious, and A Serious Man, Up, and then Up in the Air. Oh, yeah. It had no chance of winning that year. Yeah. This one has a better chance of winning than, than that one. But I say all that to say that it's probably just going to be the Fables. I mean... If anybody's getting... I don't know. I think there's a distinct, like, we won't know until we get halfway through a Lord season, but I, I really think that, that if it, I don't think the Phil Bombs will have the popular momentum to get the shared vote the way that something like Spotlight did. Um, it could. I just think that All Quiet has a better shot at that than, than Phil Bombs, but we'll see. It'll be a very interesting, uh, awards camp. Yep. Yep. Just a couple months to find out. Yeah. Don't remind me. It's, uh, <laughs> it's always around my birthday, and my birthday is already a traumatic time. And then you you throw in the slap and everything, and the Oscars, and it's uh it's, it's going to be a crazy, crazy chaotic uh, time. Because the one thing I did notice: no Will Smith getting nominated for his little movie on Apple Plus. So that whole oh, uh, yeah. no, no, that no. that whole publicity, hey, I apologize thing didn't 
Didn't quite work. Yeah, you gotta give him more. His all time in the world, a ten year ban. So that'll about do it for this week's podcast. If you want to keep up with this podcast, you can follow us on Twitter. I am at BCW Tiger Fan, heading for Ukraine. <laughs> I'm at the Mesh Theory. Thank you very much, and all hell, Mark Sanchez. Mark Sanchez, who, as uh, Charles Hanegraaff pointed out this week, has more playoff wins, road playoff wins, than any quarterback in NFL history. Thank you very much. Have a pleasant evening. Mm-hmm.